Some of you, uh, well, know me as Manuel, some of you know me as Tito, some of us know me as Jose, Pepe, sorry, it's all the same. Uh, I want to read from John 20, so I'd ask you to you can read in um, your Bibles or in the bulletin, it's printed for you. John 20, verses 11 to 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, I do want to thank you for this privilege of bringing the word of God to you. It's been many years since I've worshipped with you saints at Christ the King. I can't remember how long. It's probably been probably eight, nine years. So thank you. On behalf of the saints of Las Tierras, thank you for praying for us. Uh, God is holding us together by his grace. We're a bunch of crooked, broken, wicked sinners, and he is so good to be good and kind to us. I want you to imagine for a moment that you received in the mail, just this past week, a letter from a law firm here in El Paso. You know, it's on an official-looking stationery. And, and it tells you in this letter that a distant relative you didn't even ever, ever met or didn't know about had passed away and left you millions of dollars. Now, what would you do with that letter? Now, if you got it in email, I know what you'd probably do. Oh, this is just spam. It's one of those emails that millions of people get every day, and you just delete it, right? But it looks official. What would you do? You know, would you... Pursue it? Would you follow up? Or would you just throw it away? I suppose, if you're like me, I, you know, it looks official, doesn't look like it's spam, it doesn't look like it's just junk mail. I would probably follow up with it. Would you? Why? Why would you follow up with that letter? I mean, it looks rather suspicious, but I suppose you would follow up because it's just too great not to look into it. But what if it's true, right? What if it's true? Just in the off chance that it's really true. When we think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the risen Jesus, you know, especially, particularly the, the resurrection, you can be skeptical about the resurrection, can't you? You can say, oh, that's a scam. That cannot be true. But what if it is true? What if it really is true? 
See, if it really is true, and the scriptures assert its truthfulness, and there are a lot of reasons to ascertain its truthfulness and veracity, then there's some incredible, wonderful truths that come out from this Jesus who has died and been raised to life. Because what it offers to you, not just a crucified Jesus, but a risen Jesus, and who he is and what he offers to you is better than a million bucks. Sometimes I'd like to say, I really believe that. But give me a million bucks and, well, that seems so much better. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider this encounter between Mary Magdalene and Jesus, the risen Jesus, to see how this risen, resurrected Jesus and uh, just teaches her, but also offers Mary and you and me, who trust in him, something that's incredibly wonderful. And so we'll look at it really under two headings, hope in sorrow, and then a corrective to our small view of Jesus. So first of all, hope in sorrow. You see this in verses 11 through 15. You know that Jesus was crucified on a Friday And Mary Magdalene, then on Sunday morning, she goes to the tomb of Jesus while it's still dark. And she's gone with other women. She arrives at the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with perfume and spices. And she arrives there and she discovers that the stone that was covering the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away. The tomb is wide open. And she draws the erroneous conclusion that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. So she runs to Peter and John. And she tells them what happens. And they, Peter and John, run back to the tomb and they look into the tomb and they see the grave clothes in orderly fashion, but Jesus' body not there. They return home and somehow Mary ends up back in the tomb, presumably by herself. She's crying, she's looking into the tomb and she sees two angels. She's unfazed, no fear overcomes her two angels, and she hears these words, Woman, why are you weeping? Well, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turns around, and she shifts her gaze outside the tomb and looks at a person she thinks is the gardener. Well, we know it's Jesus, but she doesn't know that yet. And he asks her, Woman, why are you weeping? Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. I'm intrigued by the question, why are you weeping? Jesus asked the question, the angels asked that question. I remember talking to my wife about this. She says, you know, it's kind of a dangerous thing to ask a crying woman why she's crying. Sometimes you just don't want to know the answer. But it's obvious, right? Right? Why is Jesus asking the question? It seems so obvious. You know, why she might be crying. She's crying because she's seen the brutalities of the crucifixion. She's weeping because she's denied, been denied this opportunity to pay the last respects to the body of Jesus. She's crying because she feared the grave robbers have done some unspeakable sacrilege to his body. She's crying because she's alone in her grief. She's crying because she's lost the only man who understood her and loved her. She's crying because how in the world is she going to face the future without him? She's crying because the death of a loved one hurts. It absolutely makes sense 
that she's crying. So why in the world does Jesus ask this question, why are you weeping? Jesus isn't stupid, he's not ignorant, and nor is he insensitive. You see why I think it's an intriguing question. The problem isn't that she's weeping. Jesus himself wept. You remember that? He's in the front of the tomb when Lazarus dies. Now, I think the question was asked to bring to her consciousness that the way she is weeping is mistaken. See, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you have children, you understand there are different kinds of crying. There's different kinds of tears and weeping. And sometimes people weep in a very hopeless sort of way. You see, she's weeping as if death has had the last word in Jesus' life. She's weeping because she's thinking Jesus, not even Jesus, could overcome death. She's weeping as one without hope. And what she doesn't see is that the living, not just the crucified, but the living Christ is standing right in front of her. This one who has triumphed over sin and death is asking her this question. And he's trying to cause this truth of the fact that his resurrection to be impressed on her mind and her soul. Because it has to make a big difference the way we lament, the way that we cry. If Jesus has been raised. If Jesus has conquered sin and death, oh, it ought to change the way we weep. Years ago, in Nairobi, Kenya, there was a report of a a farmer by the name of Daniel Mumburugu. And he was tending his bean and potato crops near Mount Kenya. And there was a leopard, which he had not seen, hiding in the tall grass, and it leapt out upon him. He's a 73-year-old farmer. And he has a machete in his hand. And this leopard has grabbed his hands and his wrists and mauling him. And he had the presence of mind. I don't know what you would do. I'm not sure what I would do. But he dropped the machete. And you know what he did? He stuck his hand in the mouth of the leopard. And he grabbed the tongue, the leopard's tongue. And perhaps with all the adrenaline flowing through this 73-year-old man, he pulled on the tongue until he ripped it out and left the creature in the throes of death. And then one of his friends came later on and finished off the animal. You see what he did? Daniel put his hand into the very center of this animal's power. And he destroyed it from within. And this is what Jesus has done as he went into sin, into death, and from within destroying death. Oh, the death of death. You see... If this is true, then why do you weep as if I were not alive? Why do you weep hopelessly? You see, 
Because he has been raised. What that means is that sin that brought death, sin that has brought the distortion in our world, sadness and pain and brokenness and mind and body and twistedness in our world and relationships, that this sin has been triumphed by Jesus. He made a public spectacle of evil powers triumphing over them at the cross. Jesus is not minimizing our pain nor our grief, nor the hurt that we experience. But he says to you and to me, when we weep and when we lament, don't weep, brothers and sisters, as if I'm dead. You weep now as one who has conquered death, as one who lives. Because see, with the resurrection of Jesus, a new age has dawned. He has set in motion a reversal of all that has been cursed. You see, His rising means that it won't always be painful in your life. It won't always be hard. It won't always be difficult. It won't always be winter. And some of you are familiar with that phrase, always winter but never Christmas, right? From C.S. Lewis's classic children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've read the story or seen the movie, you remember the children, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund. They go into Narnia through this wardrobe, this closet. Do you remember what Narnia was like? You've seen the movie or you've read the book, you've imagined it's all snow-covered. It's cold, all right? It, why is it cold? Why is it snow-covered? Why? Because it's under the spell and the curse of the white witch. And then you hear this phrase throughout, every day is as if it's always winter but never Christmas. And in one scene, the children hear sleigh bells, and they think it's the white witch on patrol with her legions, and and only to discover, no, it's not the witch, it's Father Christmas who has come into Narnia. And he says, I've broken through at last. She, the white witch, has kept me out for a long time, but her magic is weakening. And why? Because Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure, the true king of Narnia, has come into Narnia, and he is on the move. He's on the move, and he's come to defeat the white witch. And how will he defeat the white witch? How will he break this curse? Well, by being sacrificed on the stone table, and then by rising from the dead. You remember the result of that? the snow begins to melt. The curse is undone little by little. In this life, you and I have much to weep about. Some of you, some of us weep and grieve because of our shameful past. Some of us weep because of our present failures. Because temptations that we've given into way too easily. And maybe you're weeping because the future fills you with anxiety and you're overwhelmed, you're worried. You're worried about loved ones. You're worried about children and grandchildren. You're worried about your job. You weep because you have an unbearable job situation. You weep because your marriage is not going well at all because there's such strain and struggle in it. You weep because your body is pained and broken in so many different ways. You weep because you've lost loved ones. 
And Jesus says to you, Oh, weep, but not as one who's hopeless. You weep, understanding that I have been crucified for your sins. Yes, you are forgiven of your sins. You are loved and you are accepted by me. But you weep, understanding that I've also been raised to life. You see, it won't always be harsh. It won't always be painful. It won't always be difficult in your life. You weep as one who fixes his or her eyes on the risen Savior, on the one who will come one day and wipe away every tear from your eyes. Your best life may not be now, but it is you weep with that in mind. Because He will come and make all things new. So when you cry, when you weep, how do you weep? There's a real challenge for us, I think, to weep with hope. To sorrow and hope at the same time. You see, it's not, we're not being encouraged to Say, well, there's no need to cry. There's no need to lament. No. But how do we do that in the face of the risen, risen Jesus? Some years ago, I was reading a, a book. It's a story of uh, Al Groves. Al Groves um, is a professor at Westminster Seminary in uh, Philadelphia. And it was his wife who wrote this book. And it really narrates the story of how he was diagnosed with cancer and his struggle through the years. And he was uh, in bad shape, and the family knew that he was on the verge of dying. And it happened that they were all together, uh, the family along with some friends. They weren't all in the same room at that moment, but she writes, Sarah Groves writes, that uh, Al stopped breathing, and the rest of us bounded up the stairs to his room. Some of us got there only a few seconds before Al's heart stopped beating, but we were all there. After that last breath, his heart simply slowed to a stop and he was gone. We all broke out in tears and smiles and hugs and started cheering Al on, shouting, You're home, you're free, you made it. Go get him, Dad. Run. Run to Jesus. And she writes, We held each other. And we sobbed through our smiles. How do you sob and how do you smile at the same time? Only if Jesus has been raised and you lay hold of him. Oh, it takes faith, doesn't it? Oh, may God grant us that faith and a vision of Jesus with such clarity that we would do that. So, You see, the resurrection and this risen Jesus says to you and to me, oh, we hope, we have great hope in the midst of sorrow. But there's also, secondly, a corrective to our small view of Jesus in verses 16 through 18. If you notice in this encounter between Jesus and Mary, at first he addresses her as woman. And then he calls her by name, Mary, which... 
moment, you know, that moment she turns around and she instantly recognizes that's Jesus. And what does she do? She clings to him. I can imagine that she's just hugging his feet tightly, thinking, I am not going to let you go. Rabboni, teacher. And you, can, and you can understand why. But again, something unusual happens in this very intimate and personal encounter between Mary and Jesus. Jesus gives this command, because it is a command. Don't cling to me. Why? Why? It, it seems like, you know, some of us who are not the very huggy types, you know, if you're just having a bad day, Stop hugging me. I'm just not feeling it right now. Is that what Jesus was doing? <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's what was going on. Now, I rather, I think that he understood that her grasping of him was really indicative of, the, of an inadequate understanding of this relationship with him. You see, she had too small an estimate of Jesus. She had an inadequate, truncated view of him. And so in verse 17, Jesus says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Will you, Mary, think that just because I died and now I'm risen, that, that all I have to do now is just sit here with you and we can just hang out for the rest of your life and my life. Like, I don't need to go anywhere else. I don't need to do anything else. We can just sit together and everything will be great. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that he died for your sins? I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope you come, have come to know the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased by his shed blood at the cross. I hope you come to know that as a result of Jesus' death on the cross, you will never be condemned and you won't be judged, but you are justified. But I hope that's not all you know of Jesus. You know he's more than a Savior who died at the cross. No, he is the exalted Lord. He's exalted Lord. And I think... The way he's speaking to Mary, it's as if he's saying, Mary, you don't need to relate to me thinking that I'm just a man who loves you. And, but I want you to know, Mary, that I am the ascending Lord. I died, yes, but I've been raised from the dead. And I've been raised not just to stay with you, Mary. Mary, do you remember when I was at the cross? Do you remember what I said? I said, it is finished. I paid for your sins, but I did not say, I am finished. You see, Mary, there's still more for me to do. No, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father. I am going with my glorified body to the right hand of God, and I will be in the position of all authority and power, and I will exercise that power on your behalf, on behalf of those for whom I shed my blood. Oh, Mary, you see, I am the Lord. There was never a time 
I wasn't the Lord. I was Lord in the manger. I was Lord at the cross. I was Lord in the tomb. And I will be exalted as Lord. And I will receive from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, whom I will pour out on you. And that Spirit is my Spirit, who will indwell you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will comfort you. I will teach you, Mary. And I will be closer to you than you can ever imagine. You will have me in a way you can't even imagine right now, Mary. I will protect you. I will direct you. I will provide for you. I will be with you. So tell me, do you have a diminished view of Jesus? Is he simply one who died for your sin? Or is he the exalted Lord? Some people imagine Jesus to, you know, this exalted or this God-man to be somewhat bigger, smarter, better, more moral, more ethical than themselves. Just a better you. Well, if all you've got is a better you, well, you've got a, a better idol. That's all you have. And some people think of Jesus as just the missing piece in their lives. I just had everything else in my life, and I just needed that one piece, and he just fits in there nicely. I'm sorry, he's not that one little piece. No, he's the source of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the point of all that exists. He's the apex. He's the culmination. He is your life and your breath. He is all in all. He is the exalted Lord. And not only that, he's teaching Mary something else, that he is the gracious Savior. In his conversation with Mary, why didn't Jesus just say to her, Mary, it's me, Jesus. Why didn't he just clarify it right at the outset? Why does he speak her name and not his name? Well, I think it's because he wants to awaken in her that grace that he extended to her previously. It's as if she's in a dark room and there's things all around her and people all around her, but she just cannot see it. It's pitch black to her it's, she's, because she's distraught. She's unable to see and perceive that which is around her. And when Jesus calls her name Mary, it's as if the lights turn on and she can see, finally see, and it resonates with her. Speaking her name somehow has just penetrated right to her soul. And as if she said, I know that voice. I know that voice. That's the voice of the one who called me years ago. That's the one who came to me in my brokenness and, and my slavery to sin. That's the one who knows me. That's the one who pursued me. That's the one who has loved me. Now just think for a moment. Where was Mary? What was she like before Jesus pursued her? Well, if you go back to Luke chapter 8, Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven evil spirits. Now, I don't know what you make of that. And I don't know if you've ever been possessed by an evil spirit. Hopefully not. But I can tell you one time, this is years ago, this is back on the East Coast, I was helping with a high school retreat. And after the activities of the day, there were a group of kids that, you know, 
some were playing and horsing around, and others were just off, and we didn't know where they were, so it was my responsibility to go find them in this complex of a church building. And, and I opened this door that was closed, and as soon as I opened this door, every hair on my body just stood up on its end. There was the presence of evil like I'd never felt it before. You know what these kids were doing? They were having a seance. I cannot imagine what it would be like to live possessed by seven evil spirits. You know, when the scriptures speak of such people, how, does it, how are they described? They're described as running around naked, living in cemeteries, cast to the ground, foaming in the mouth, homeless, social outcasts. Do, do you, see, you see who she is? She was the one who was under the power of evil. She wasn't looking for God. She was far from God. She wasn't seeking Jesus. She didn't want him. She didn't even know of this Savior. Jesus sought her. Jesus pursued her. Jesus cast the demons out of her. Jesus saved her. Now you understand why she wept. Why she loved so deeply. She understood grace of God and Jesus. Jesus wasn't waiting for her to improve her life. Jesus wasn't waiting for her to become immoral, to clean up her act. Jesus simply saved her. I think Mary is a good picture for all of us of how hopeless and powerless we are to save ourselves and how we need, desperately need, this Jesus who has both taken our sins upon himself at the cross of Calvary, paying the debt that we owe God, dying the death that we should have died, and how we desperately need this one who has been raised from the dead to give us hope until he returns and hope will be fulfilled when he comes back for his people. So when you cry, when you lament, when you grieve, I want to exhort you to do so with hope. If you've never come to believe in the crucified and risen Jesus, if you have questions, seek him out. Ask. You might be skeptical, but this is no scam. This is authentic. This is real. Let's pray. We're grateful, O oh God, for your mercies. We're grateful for giving us the gift of faith. And we pray that, Lord, you would open our eyes to see this one who has so loved us that he would not only simply go to the cross, but he would be raised for our justification. May we see him with greater clarity. Would you turn on the lights in our lives? Speak our name. And then we will speak your name and give you honor and glory. For we ask in that name, above all names, Jesus. Amen.